I know that there are folks that are unable to come tonight and the word that the Lord has given to me is for those here and for you wherever you might be. And many years ago, I was in second year of college and I was driving too fast on a road. And when the police officer pulled me over, I told him as my excuse, I didn't know what the speed limit was, officer. And he didn't buy my lame excuse. And this is what he said to me, and I'll never forget it. It's been a long time ago. You know, some things you just can't forget. Because I realized that was the wrong thing to do. If you get pulled over, you immediately ask for mercy and have your wife start crying. <laughs> no. I said, I didn't know what the speed limit was. And he said, whether it's posted or not, it's your responsibility to know. And I said, well, how am I supposed to know? He said, because it's written in the law. So just because you didn't know that all those side roads are 35 miles an hour, we don't have to post those because the law has already been passed. And so guess, see this book here? Read it or not. Love it, embrace it, or reject it or not. One day we're going to be judged out of these books. I want to know what it says so that I can have my heart right with God. Amen. I think this is the seventh time I've spoken in as many days. So I'm at the end of whatever uh, vocal ability I have. So I'll just squeeze out whatever is there and pray that the Lord will help me to relay the word and that you will receive it with all readiness of mind and spirit. Amen. I'm reading from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10 and just three verses tonight. When you get to 1 Samuel chapter 10, just pause and look up at me, if you don't mind. I don't think that we ought to be robots, and I think everyone has a very diverse personalities, and I think that's a good thing. It's wonderful to have uh, many different uh, personalities in the church. God has given you something that's unique, and it's, it's for his kingdom. And I'm grateful for that. And, you know, some folks, uh, they, they've, they've been given gifts of just calmness. And, man, we need that calmness. 
and thank God for all those. If, if you're, some folks may, we may wonder why you're not excited, but we're also happy that you're not depressed because you're pretty even keel. You're calm. You're like the Alka-Seltzer for the body of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't want to be the Alka-Seltzer. Okay. Oh, you can be the Pepto-Bismol. I don't know what you are. It's nice. And some of you are excited and you give energy in life and thank God. And I'm glad for it. We, we got to have some fire somewhere. And I hope not everybody's just calm. I need somebody just to shout a little bit and a couple dancers. That's good. Some people that would run a little bit. We've got to have all of that. And I'm thankful for it. However, there's only one mind that we can have. Different giftings, different personalities, different positions. But Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And so that's what we have to find. Now I read. Verse 5. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God. Samuel is speaking. Where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place of leers and with leers and tambourines and flutes and harps. They're played. They're playing them. And they will be prophesying. Samuel says to this young man, Saul, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, Saul. And you will prophesy with them. You're going to join the processional. And you will be changed into a different person. Wow. Once these things, these signs, these promises are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Amen. All the people said amen. Just put your Bibles down and lift up your hearts to the Lord. Whatever way and fashion and open up your heart. Just say, Lord, my heart is open to hear your word. My heart is open to hear your word. Holy Jesus now. Holy Jesus. the glory to God be the glory for the things he has done to God be the glory to God be the glory to God be the glory for the things he has done. Somebody help me with the words. With his power, he has saved me. With his power, yes. he has raised me God be the glory 
for the faith here. Come on, do that one more time. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things he has done with his blood he has saved me with his power he has raised me to God be the glory for the things amen amen and with your voices now we praise you. We praise you. We praise you, Lord. Jesus. Amen. And thank you. You may be seated. It took a few decades, actually, to gather the view that I now see. As a much younger man, all I had were the accounts of other men and women And while I repeated them with as much insight and vigor as I could, they were not my own. But now I read the Bible and people much differently than I did in those days. And in fact, I read 1 Samuel in a much different light than when I was very young. The relatable story of Israel's first king has found its way into the days and decades of people that I know. I'm led by the Lord to relay this message to the body or to whoever has ears to hear and will receive it. And that in itself is almost impossible. It's an impossible assessment for any preacher of the gospel to even measure who, who hears the word, who will receive it. In fact, the duty of the prophet is not to deliver the word for applause or affirmation, but to simply speak it as the Lord has spoken. However, we are firmly set in an era of Pentecostal show business. So many are deeply concerned with how they appear. They embrace performance and that openly. But the merits and the metrics of such things are always misleading. I remember hearing a real prophet preach. I was the song leader at that 
conference. And when I sat down, to the side of the platform were a few men. And as the prophet graced the pulpit, they called out with their hands cupped over their mouth, work in the gifts, perform. They were poking each other. They thought that was a good thing because they knew that the man at the pulpit was a powerful man of God. It disturbed me, however, I was uncomfortable. They were preachers and beside them were the singers and they wanted to see something. Thankfully, that wise prophet just preached the word. And at the end, those men walked away and muttered that they wish he would have done something before the people. Those men, preachers and singers, were nothing more than performers acting out on stage. And today, every one of them have left the faith. I had to live long enough to see it from myself, and I did. They loved the emotion and even the spiritual high more than the foundation upon which they stood. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when a person is used of God, they are simply used of God. They are not God. They do not speak for him. (laughs) They are not eternally more in tune with him than they were before he used them. The Lord might give a person a dream or a vision. He might anoint you with some spiritual, supernatural gift. But if he chooses to use you, that does not mean that you own anything. It all belongs to him. You still need to repent and clean your heart. Mm -hmm. Prophesying, singing, teaching the word, having the word of knowledge, having the word of wisdom... Perhaps the gift of interpretation of tongues are meant for the spiritual strength of the body of Jesus Christ that he bought with his own blood. They were never meant to build our reputation. But that's what happens to many who are used of the Lord once or twice in a supernatural way. They then assume that everything that comes to their mind and out of their mouth is from the Lord. And eventually... No one is allowed to lead them because they lead themselves. It's religious acting. It's a stage. It sounds good and it sounds right. But if God did not say it, do not tell everybody that he did. Don't put words in the mouth of God. And if you do, you won't be the first. I'll read what Ezekiel dealt with. Ezekiel dealt with it this way in chapter 13. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say the Lord declares though I have not spoken? Jeremiah encountered it and he wrote, I have not sent these prophets yet they ran. I have not spoken to them yet they prophesied. Here's another verse. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them saith the Lord. So just because there's a prophecy does not mean it's of God. I've lived long enough to see it and it took decades for me to recognize it. Someone has a great word from God. They might even lay hands on the sick and there are miracles. Simon the sorcerer thought that's how it worked. 
You could purchase it. You could own it until Peter rebuked him. And Peter said, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God might be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter because your heart's not right. Repent therefore of thy wickedness and pray God, perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven. For I perceive thou art in the gall of bitterness and you're just caught in the bond of iniquity. And sometimes we are all used to speak the word. And God gives us a word for someone, our family member or a friend or someone we don't know. I'm thankful for it. And with that true word from God, things come to pass. People are healed. They are delivered. They are warned. They are redirected. But the danger is found when suddenly people flock around the person who spoke. And they make the speaker a spiritual celebrity. Then they themselves who spoke the word, buy into the notion that indeed they are more spiritual than their leaders and elders and they believe that they have monopolized the gifts. They own them. But in every case, here it is, something is missing. And what is missing is the death of self. What is missing is the crucifixion of image. What is missing is the burial of built-up reputation. Tell me, what kind of reputation did Jesus have? Well, there's no need to think about it. Paul wrote it. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. There is a call in this house. Let this mind be in you. It's not the one that so many are after. It's not about gain or advancement. It's not about insight or understanding. It's not about finding a place somewhere. It is about obscurity. It grinds against our natural desires. It's about the mission, not about the position. I'll read for a moment. Let me explain this. Samuel was given the order by God to anoint a king to lead the nation because the nation cried out for it. And though this most profound prophet obeyed the Lord and the will of the nation was given, it still cut Samuel to the core because he believed that he was sufficient enough to lead them. To him, the request was a rebuff against his own leadership. And God came to say, Samuel, this is not against you, but it's against me. Even the statement and the feeling of Samuel, even that thing alone showcases the danger of even this holy prophet. That he would take so much on himself that he was offended that they not think that he was sufficient enough to lead them. He thought that he was. Oof. The cliff of self-absorption is always a few steps away from wherever we stand. Samuel then found a young Saul. It was a definite word from God filled with wonder and revelation. Saul began in a powerful way. The Bible says that God gave Saul another heart and all the signs of his royal appointment came to pass. He prophesied and prayed and cried to God. He, he forged a path that no one would have ever taken. He had the anointing of the Most High and the voice of Samuel and the backing of the entire nation. It was all there. All that could be afforded him, Saul held in his own hands. But power in any person's hand is hard to hold loosely. They tend to tighten their grip until they believe that they own it and that came from them. 
I'll move ahead in the narrative to declare the Bible's own declaration of the king of Israel. Saul has grown in reputation and authority. He has come to dismiss the leadership of Samuel as he leans on his own thoughts. He has no counsel worth his time. He is, after all, the anointed king. The enemy in 1 Samuel 14 is the arch enemy. It is the army of the Philistines, and they are relentless. They march for bloodshed, taking prisoners for slaves and dismembering the bodies of the elite. Israel and Philistia fought in too many battles to count. The war seemed endless, an infinite loop of battles and fighting and recovery and fighting. King after king after king triumph and then defeat so many things. At this point... Saul has mismanaged his own army. He alone holds a sword, he and his son Jonathan, and those swords resemble a decorative sword at best. The soldiers of Philistia have already taken some high ground, some high places, because they know the strategic lands around them. That is why Jonathan and his armor bearer take a chance on God, and they defeat an entire garrison of Philistines. Jonathan and his armor bearer took a small half acre of land, and God caused the earth to shake. God snapped the ground like a blanket on a freshly made bed, and the enemy ran. But off in the distance, Saul makes a decree. You see, he was so desperate to have a victory of his own, to prove his self-worth and his image, that he wanted them to fight until the last dog was dead. In fact, he said to his men, I command you not to eat until the battle is over. Don't take a bite of anything until the battle is over. Raging wars, ladies and gentlemen, are taxing. They are difficult. This was not a fast for God's favor. It was not a fast to find some self-control. This was a command from a man, from a king, who wanted his men to fight without rest so that he could get the glory. And fought they did all day. Their bodies were ravaged. They were exhausted when Jonathan finally met up with them. And as they marched Together, they all came upon a field with honey oozing out of the ground, the Bible says. Beehives, obviously, were everywhere. And Jonathan, not having heard the father's command, he dipped his own sword into that honey and he ate it. The Bible says he was enlightened, meaning he was immediately strengthened because that's what honey does. It goes right into your bloodstream. It doesn't need to be broken down. It goes right. It just gives you so much strength. But the men were afraid. They knew what the king had said. So they bypassed the Lord's provision because the image and reputation of Saul was on the line. They did not take the honey Because they were trying to protect the image of the king. Watch now. When Saul heard what his son had done, he wanted the men to kill him. But the men could not bring themselves to do it. That's what happens when self-image does not die. It destroys entire families. When you're more concerned about reputation than being right with God, you'll destroy even the closest people around you. You'll put on things that don't belong to you. You'll, you'll take on ideas that will, that will seemingly build you up. It'll destroy all your family. Self-image, self-preservation has even caused moms and dads to prohibit their children from serving God. Because if you go there, if you do that, it'll make me look bad. Yes. So they convince their babies and their grown children don't go there because if you do it shines a bad light on our family and now the whole family is lost toward the evening of the next day when the battle was over 
and Philistia had been defeated and ran away, beating each other down. The men of Saul, the army of King Saul, was so famished that they found cattle and sheep and they just cut them up and began to eat them. I'll read. That day, after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Agilon, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder and taking sheep, cattle, and calves. They butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. But in doing so, they defied the law of God found in Leviticus chapter 17. And here comes the telltale of this king. He moved from a young anointed man appointed, prophesying, crying, oil, commissioned. He moved from that young man who even by Saul's own words, there was a moment when you were small in your own eyes. He moved from that to a king so desperate to make a name for himself that he led his entire army, all of its people, into disobedience. God had granted Saul a blessing to whatever he put his hands to do. But Saul moved from the authority of God and from the prophet to his own authority. The stage was just too great to handle and it would come to cost him his life. But in this moment at Ajalon, when the victory had been settled and the men had defended Jonathan and the day was spent when the army had followed the selfish nature of an ambitious king who numbered his men to see if he alone could, could have the victory and defeat the enemy instead of seeking the voice of God. And when the day was over and his men bypassed the law of Moses and butchered the sheep and cattle and calves right there on the ground like savages at some heathen nation, blood and all, someone rose up to say, Oh, king! Behold, the people sin against the Lord in that they eat with the blood. And then now finally, after all this time, Paul, a Saul rather, called for a stone. And here is the revelation of his life. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 14 verse 35. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. After all those years of leading and fighting and working, of ruling and managing, this was the first time he ever called for a large stone. It was the first time he ever built an altar to God. Something had been missing in his life. It was the death of self. He failed to crucify his own image, but instead he bought into his own reputation. And it took years before he finally made an altar. And that only one time. It was a moment It could have turned him around, but too few altars, just one, is not enough to keep the hunger of image subdued. Paul said, we got to do it daily. There was a sore war against the Philistines, the Bible says, all the days of Saul. All the days of Saul, he fought all the days of his life. But that wasn't the only thing depicted in all of his days because decades later, another king came to power and the new king said, hey, something's missing around this place. He said, and I quote in First Chronicles 13, 3, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us for we inquire not at it in the days of Saul. Saul never went after the ark. They all knew where it was. He never went after it. You see, where there is no altar, no death to self, no crucifixion of image, no, no, no idea of what it takes. If there's only performance and entertainment and production, then there's no desire for the moving of the spirit. 
Because the ark demands the attention. It demands your careful consideration or people die. The ark has rules and reverence. It consumes the glory that people like to take on themselves. The spotlight that people love to absorb. The ark of the covenant. God, the spirit, wants it all for himself. So it's easy to see that a man who builds no altars has no desire to seek for the very thing that would demand all the praise and all the glory. This is what we know about God. (laughs) There's so little that we know about him after all of these years of preaching and praying and seeking. There's so little that we know about him. I'm concerned about people who think they know everything about God. There's far more about God that you don't know than that which you do know. Don't ever think you've reached a plateau where you have come to some pinnacle and now you know it all. No, you've got to be hungry for the most high God. You've got to yearn for him and desire him. He said, for my namesake, I'll defer my anger. For my praise, I will refrain. I've refined thee. I've chosen what you're going to go through. For my own sake, he said. For my sake. He said it twice in Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake. Even for my own sake. And I will not give my glory to another. He gives victory to us. For his sake. For his pleasure. He chooses the terms because that's his choice. He brings us out and sets us up because that's what he wants to do. It's his desire. He alone has the glory. And any people who take the glory, they they remove God because only one can get the glory. Us or him. He does not cut us off or brush us aside. Not because we're good, but because he's good for his glory. His desire. And finally, if there's any victory, he said, I reserve the glory for myself. I want it all by myself. Now, juxtaposed against everything that I preached just now, I want to put over that all of the elements of our media and social media society and everything that we're doing every day of the week and all the things that we post and say and all the words that we say and all the deeds that we do and all the self-proclamations that we have. I want to say to the church, put it away. If God is going to be in competition with you, you're going to win every day of the week. He is the man who stands at the door and knocks, but he's not the one who kicks the door down. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. Let me in. If you want the spirit of God, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He made himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant. I say it again, this is not a great church. This is not a great church. This is not an outstanding church. No, this is a church that has a great God. This is a house that has a great Savior. This is a place where Jesus is lifted up. Why are you offended? Why do you get offended? How could you ever be offended? If you're offended, that means you're alive. 
That means you've never called for the large rock. If you're offended at anything. Because you're living. I've went to the funeral home many times. I've looked at the, at the, at the deceased laying there. It doesn't matter what you say about them. It doesn't matter what you, what you call them. They're dead. They don't get up. You can, you can tell them you were no good in this life and you look even worse in your death and they ain't getting up. They don't get angry. They don't scowl at you. You can just lean down, act like you're kissing them and just say for the last time, I didn't like you and I still don't and they don't get up. They don't say anything. They don't respond. You can say all the ugly things you want to the dead and they're not going to get up. If they got up, it means they're alive. Paul said, I am dead. I'm hidden in Christ Jesus. I don't even want you to see me. Not I, not I, but you, not me, but you. All the glory goes to you. I got a word for you. Don't have one altar. Don't live all these years and then just have one time. Yeah, I remember, Pastor. I, I remember a few years back, the preacher was preaching, and I, I went, I, and I just gave my life to God. But you know what? I have a lot of stuff to do. And, 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 and what, what are you talking about? Every day, your flesh is getting up every day. You got to put that thing on the altar. You got to put your own ideas and your opinions on a stone, and you got to kill it, and you got to crucify it. Otherwise, you're going to be consumed. I want to say to everybody who's on any platform, here or there or around here, we're not here to show off. We're not here to expound on our knowledge or our talent. It all belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. All of it is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What are you protecting? Big man, strong man, what are you protecting? Your emotions? I'll tell you what you ought to do. You ought to break yourself before the Lord and fall on the altar until tears run out of your face. And you are uncontrollable before God. You will never be big enough, strong enough to resist the end time without having the born again experience of your life. You got to get in that altar. You got to pray until you cry before God. Because an eyeball and eyes that are dry, I'm going to tell you, your soul is dry. And if you say to me, well, pastor, that's just not my personality. Let this mind be in you. This is not a personality thing. This is a hunger for the most high God. Help me, Lord. I need you. I was preaching somewhere. I don't even remember some place. Got off the plane, went and preached. And by the time I got done, my shirt was soaked, my suit was soaked, and I had, had that suit cleaned so many times the fabric started to bubble up right here, top of my shoulder. And we went out after the service, and I was sitting at the table, and one of the folks across the table. 
said, well, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't preach like that, you wouldn't ruin your clothes. I said, well, I can go through shirts because they're sweating and shouting. I said, sometimes even before I preach, I mean, I'm involved in the worship. I'm not reserving myself for the preaching. And if nobody's shouting, I'm going to shout. And if they are shouting, I don't want to be left out. You're telling me I got to wait until I get up before I run, shout, and dance, and holler, and thank God, and fall on my knees? I'm not waiting. It's not a show. And I said, well, that's right. I don't mind ruining my clothes if I'm in the church service because I'd rather give it all to God. I didn't come here for a show. It's all right. I'll go buy me another suit. And when I ruin that one, I'll go buy me another shirt. And if I rip the fabric, I'll just go get some new fabric. Because it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to keep on worshiping and shouting and praising and dancing. And I know it's nice sometimes. I feel a little bit better if the whole church is behind me when I'm preaching, whatever I'm preaching. But there does come a time in my mind I have to realize whether anybody's clapping or shouting. If I am preaching the word of the Lord, it doesn't matter what the measurement of the response is. I just have to deliver the word. And I'll tell you what the word is tonight. I got to crucify self. I got to, I got to bury image. I got to, I got to banish all the reputation. I'm very disturbed. I'm very disturbed because I've watched young, powerful preachers get into very influential pulpits in conferences and conventions and preach. And then they reached the pinnacle and then they lost their walk with God because they were more concerned about the image than they were with the foundation upon which they stood. The beautiful voices that we just heard. I'll tell you what makes it worthwhile. It's unto the Lord. It's unto God. And it doesn't matter who has the vocal and who doesn't. It doesn't matter who's singing, who's playing, or who's preaching. We've come here to lift him up. Because he said, if I, if I be lifted up. He thinks it's about him. He thinks the whole church should be about him. He thinks every song should be magnifying him. He thinks every word ought to be from him. He thinks every clap ought to be for him. He thinks the building ought to be dedicated to him. He thinks your coming and your going ought to be for him. Revelation 4 and 11. I'm almost done. I'm really done. I'm well done. Verse 11. Thou art worthy. Read it. Read it. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Say it now again. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Close your eyes and say it. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Now open up your eyes because you got the next line. To receive glory and honor and 
power. Oh, let's start over. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were. It's the, it's the reason why they are here. The reason why they're still here, the reason why they were here before we came, and the reason why we're experiencing them here right now, they're for your pleasure. It's all about you. All the praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the blessing. So whether you are high or whether you are low, it's all about him. Whether you are perishing with hunger and you're desperate for something to eat, it's still about him. If you are, have everything and you're blessed, it's because he was good. Now, I want to caution all the saints. Thank you, but it's all about the Lord. And when someone said to me this past weekend, wow, look what the Lord's done here. And I said, this is about God. They said, yes, but it's also about you too. And I said, oh, no. I said, you're wrong on that. I said, you know what my name is? My name is Gideon. You don't know, but my name is Gideon. Because I come from the youngest, from the least of the tribe, and another little tribe, another little nothing, and, and God did it. I'm going to tell you, God did it. And I start talking to them about what God did. And they weren't having any of it. They wanted to say, well, yeah, but you, but you led. What are you talking about? Anything that I said was good came from the Lord. Anything that came out of my mouth that was right, God put it in my mouth. Let me tell you the quickest way for us to squash revival is for us to think that we got it together. Let me tell you the quickest way for you to fail is for you to think that you can do it all by yourself. And the epitaph ought not be, well, you know, one time, long time ago, they got, they got an altar one long time ago. They rolled out a stone and made a sacrifice to God. It ought not be that way. I'll tell you what we do. We live in the altar. We live in sacrifice. We live in crucifying the flesh. I want you to be blessed. I'll tell you how you're blessed. Recognize the Lord. Give praise to God. It's been about 10 years I got a package in the mail with a bottle, small, little, bitty, little vial of water and a note. And it said, put, this is probably 17 or 18 years ago, and the note and the letter was very nicely written and it said, this comes from some place, just sprinkle this on your money And then if you want more, send a donation of $100. And you will be financially blessed. And I said, I got to buy me some of those vials of water and mail them out to some people. Now, I'm going to tell you how to get 
I'm going to tell you how to get your finances in order. Let me just tell you, this is a wonderful, may not be get rich, but this is get comfortable scheme. And that's even a bad word. It's not a scheme. It's just, this is how you get comfortable. You recognize your, your, your Lord and your Savior by returning your first fruit to God. You see, you, you want to be blessed, but you keep ending up as a thief and a robber. But you'll tell me, I'm not a thief and I'm not a robber. But if you read Malachi chapter 3, God said they're a thief and a robber. And they said, well, we're not a thief and a robber. He said, yes, you are, because you didn't return to me what belonged to me. You see, when you return your tithing and your offerings, what you're really doing is recognizing all of it belonged to God. It's recognition to God. And let me tell you what will happen. Whatever you have left over will go farther than if you kept the whole thing. Now, let's just... Let's just take every category. If you give God your Sunday and your Bible study and your strength, he'll give you more strength than you would have had if you never came. I just feel like preaching Jesus right in this house. Lord, be lifted up. I pray God, the healer, the great physician, the great provider, Jehovah Jireh. Stand and I'll read the scripture before we go home. Psalm 111, 111, one way to God. Here we go, ready? You, all you have to do is remember 111, not 911, 111. Man, if you can't remember one, <laughs> I'm a, we, we got we to gotta pray for your brain, one. Just say one. One, one, one. There you go. Open up your Bible. Find some book that has 111 chapters. There's only one of them. Psalm. One, one, one. And start with verse one. Man, we can't even get more simplistic than that. It doesn't take an algorithm to get to one. All right. Here we go. Ready? Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. This is all about him. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. That means he's going to give you whatever you need in your life to sustain you. He will ever be mindful of his covenant even when you forget and you fail. He'll remember, wait, I got a covenant with that man. See that family right there? I got a covenant with him. They were baptized in my name, took on my name. The covenant was made. He'll remember that. He hath shown his people the power of his works that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. Amen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord. Is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding of all they that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. 
So let this mind be in you. Oh, Jesus, right now I pray, help us to build altars to crucify our reputations, our ideas. Our offenses ought to all be laid on that altar. No one should ever be offended. If we're offended, Lord, it's because our heart and our flesh has risen up and we're full of lust and corruption. And now we're going to take all that and just crucify it. We're not going to try to protect all the image and reputation that we've built. No, Lord, this is all about you, all about your mercy, your grace. And we're going to lift you high in this room. And we're going to proclaim that everything that's ever come to our lives that's ever been good, it's all come from you. We didn't do anything, Lord. You did everything. You did everything. You are everything. You are everything. You are everything. You are worthy, Lord, to receive all glory, all honor. No honor belongs to any of us. All power, all power, all power. You created all things for your pleasure. They were created. They exist for your pleasure. We exist for your pleasure, Lord. So right now, everybody in this house, I want you to put, roll the stone out, and I want you to put something on that altar right now. Come on, roll it out. Now's the time, and just say, Lord, I'm going to crucify something tonight. I'm going to crucify my flesh. I'm going to subdue my own thought. Yes, I'm calling for you here. I'm calling for you. Beautiful, beautiful Savior. That's right. That's right. That's right. Come on now. That's right. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We're calling to Jesus now. spend five minutes and ask God to help you with your heart say Lord clean my heart now clean me Lord purify me wash me with the hyssop I'll be clean wash me and I'll be whiter than snow in the name of Jesus I pray in the name of Jesus I pray